Suffolk is a most beautiful place, England's most easterly county. From the breaking waves on the shingle of Alborough Beach to the rolling gallops of the Newmarket area, it is full of incredible views, fascinating people and amazing businesses. There are only three things you can do with money. You can spend it, you can give it away, or you can save it. This podcast looks at how these activities are carried out within Suffolk and the people behind them. From exciting, bold entrepreneurs to large employers who are household names. From neighbourhood projects to charities dealing with massive issues. From money-saving tips to explaining the world of investments. This is a podcast about Suffolk. This is a podcast about money. Welcome to Suffolk Money. Thank you for listening to the Suffolk Money podcast, sponsored by Kingsfleet Wealth. Our very first guest is Karen Hare, who is the Chief Executive of Cancer Campaign in Suffolk. Our original plan was to record for 20 or 25 minutes to just understand something about Karen and the project, the charity that is the Cancer Campaign in Suffolk. However, it soon became apparent that this was something that was worth significantly more time. So it's a little bit of a longer interview than we'd normally be planning, but I trust that you will benefit from and indeed learn from the next few minutes. Thank you. The statistics are truly shocking that one in two people will be affected by cancer at some stage in their lives. Furthermore, the vast majority of charitable gifts given within Suffolk leave the county. So why is it that for such a significant issue as cancer, we don't support local causes? So I'm delighted to welcome Karen Hare, the Chief Executive of Cancer Campaign in Suffolk, to talk through these issues and find out about the really amazing work that they do. Karen, welcome. So let's just dig straight into finding out a little bit more about Cancer Campaign in Suffolk, because uh, there may be some of our listeners who've never heard of it, um, which would be a dreadful shame. Tell yes, us certainly. all about how it started. So Cancer Campaign in Suffolk um, is, we're just coming into our 22nd year. And it was set up when Jason Cundy, Ipswich Town footballer at the time, uh, was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And his oncologist was uh, the senior oncologist of Ipswich Hospital, a gentleman called John Levey. And uh, John and Jason were in those days, the great and the good of Suffolk. So therefore were always um, being chivied along to put their hand in their pocket. Um, and they found that the money that they were given very rarely came back into Suffolk. Um, and John wanted to ensure that he had a charity that actually wasn't part of the NHS, but was actually very much part of the community. And so him and Jason got together and they formed a charity, Cancer Campaign in Suffolk. And Jason was very greedy for information when he was diagnosed. Now, the, not everybody is, but Jason found it really difficult in those days to actually get information. So they decided the best thing that they could do was to actually build an information centre that was as close to the oncology department to Ipswich Hospital as they could. And uh, the John LeVay Cancer uh, Information Centre was born. Um, it took four years to raise 500,000 pounds to actually build the information centre. 
but it was also a place where we could actually give complementary therapy and counselling um, and also somewhere where people could actually go and get information. Well, as time's gone on, these things change as we would expect them to. And one of the biggest changes is that now information is mandatory. Does that mean Suffolk was ahead of the curve there in the sense of yeah. making yeah, sure people were informing people? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Um, and there are now information centres all over the country. Right. Uh, not by a cancer campaign in Suffolk. We are very much an independent one. Yeah. And it's usually from one of the national charities that do the information centres throughout the country. Yeah. But we were definitely the forerunner. And the information centre um, has, I would think, probably between five and 7,000 visitors um, and annually. Um, we do complementary therapy from there. We do counselling from there. And these are things that are not provided by the NHS. Although we're in an NHS building, and perhaps people forget that it's actually done by a local independent charity that provide and finance it. Um, and we work with other partners to be actually be able to, to, to do it. We've been working with the hospital now for in excess of 17 years. Um, and that in itself for such a small charity as we are, um, can be challenging. So John LeVay and Jason were really visionaries uh, and it fulfilled a need. The, the need has obviously changed, as I said, as time goes on. So that was the charity, that was what they, they did. And without the help of Suffolk, that information centre would not be there today. Then I was brought into the charity very sadly after John LeVay died. Um, and that was some really years ago. Um, <laughs> 13 years ago. Okay, 13 um, years, yeah. And I was brought in when John died, so I never met the man. So taking over a man's legacy is mm. really challenging in some ways, but the one thing that John wanted to do was actually to give information. So on the back of that, giving information, um, we've developed an educational project. And the educational project is for me, what I feel that we should actually be getting the message out into the community. We all need to understand what our body looks like today so that should there be something that goes amiss by tomorrow, we can actually stand in front of the mirror and say, that doesn't seem right, there's something a bit wrong there, to actually go to see our GP. The message is a very simple one, you, but the first thing is you've got to understand what your body looks like now. And is that something that's sort of peculiarly un-British, that we don't really like to look at ourselves? You've got it. <laughs> okay, or should I say peculiarly British rather than British, yeah. Yeah, so we just don't like to sort of stare at ourselves and admire our great beauty. No, and, and we all have a beauty of our own. Yeah. Some would call some That's nice of you to unique. Say. <laughs> <laughs> so but it, it is very much about, I mean, I've, I've stood up and done many talks to many audiences and you get some very strange um, comments um, I have had people put their hand up and say, my dear, I've not looked at my body for 60 years and I'm certainly <laughs> not going to be starting now. Yeah. And so my comment was, well, how about your husband looking at it? And she said, oh, my God, you are going too far. Uh, so, so you do have completely different um, uh, reactions from people. Yeah. So, But the education project is very much from youngsters. Mm -hmm. So we do littlies about uh, sun, sun awareness because we know that um, sun damaging children can actually be um, melanomas when they're actually older and they do sit for many, 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 many years before they actually come to life. Mm. Um, so we do little is, we don't talk about cancer, but it is very much about the sun and teaching the awareness of them to put their 
sun cream on to put their hats on. The amount of people, if you actually go into a classroom of children and actually ask them, um, has anybody ever felt sore having been in the sun? They'll put their hand, quite a lot will put their hand up. And if you ask them where they were, nine times out of 10, it's in their back garden. We all plan to go on a holiday. We all plan, we'll, we'll have special hats for holidays, sunglasses, sun cream, but it actually happens here in England. Yeah. Our sun is hot enough. Uh, some people think it's a different sun. Yeah. Well, I think the worst sunburn I ever had was Lowestoft Beach when I was about go. 10. Yeah. 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 yeah it's so easily done when you get distracted. So yes. easily done when you get distracted. So yes. we so we we try and teach children um, about about that for them to also take some responsibility. And I know you might think that children are too young for that, mm. but our children, when they were young, were at school, it was all about recycling. And they would come home from school and woe betide you if you actually put that plastic bottle in the wrong bin. You were definitely told that actually Mrs. can't even remember her name, will say Mrs. Smith said, you don't put them there, mummy. No, you shouldn't be putting them there. You should be putting them here. So it's, it's about that kind of learning. Then we go up to um, the older children where we actually want them to actually understand about doing the breast check and actually doing testicular checking. And so what age group would this be, Karen? When so you're it's it's that probably um, about um, what I would call sixth form, okay. lower six, that kind of age group. So between 15 and 17. Um, so it's, it is very much about, we've still got young men dying of testicular cancer, which is 99.3% curable. And, and a lot of it is fear. A lot of it is also fear of talking yeah. and who to talk to and what to say. Um, but, and men particularly don't have great relationships with their doctors unless they're on the golf course. So it's about giving people confidence to actually say, I think something's wrong. And be confident in how your own body feels to be able to say, yeah, I really do think that there's something wrong. Um, and be confident to be able to actually push your point so that they actually understand you. Um, and it's giving, it's giving young people, certainly of that age, the responsibility for themselves. They'll all be, well, quite a lot of them will be going off to uni and at uni when they find things, it's much easier for them to close down rather than actually phone their mum. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's about that. And also if they're having relationships to actually say, if you're actually with the opposite sex or same sex, but you actually feel something that's different, not to joke about it, but to actually do something about it. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say that cancer does not care about creed, color, age, anything. It is just throughout. Um, yes, there are some rarer cancers, but it doesn't mean to say that children or young people can't get it. Um, sadly, they lose their lives. Um, so it's, the education pro program is very much about that. It's about going into businesses. And one of the things about going into businesses, cancer, normally the, the general most common ones tend to be in people that are tend to be middle management people and people with lots of experience, people that you actually do not want out of your workforce. Um, and those people, those ages, probably between the age of sort of late 30s to mid 60s, those are the type, that's sort of the age group of people that actually will be taken. And if they're taken out of your workforce for a year, it's a big gap. Um, and they will be on sick leave and everybody will be very conscious around them 
exactly what they're going through. Um, and it's, it's very, it makes it very difficult, not just for that person, but for the whole company. So if we can get companies to uh, very um, commercially pay for us to actually come and talk to them about the signs and symptoms of cancer, um, for people to actually have an earlier diagnosis, some people may just need very quick treatment and in and out. Um, some people may longer, but I can assure you, the longer that you leave it and you don't do anything about it, the more invasive um, the treatment will be. So that, from a business perspective, sounds to me as though just a wise move, that the more informed staff can be about such an issue, then the earlier that awareness comes, the earlier that diagnosis comes, the, the swifter the treatment, which in the long run is a cost saving for the business. And it, it would cost the business a, a lot of money. Um, yeah. And also there is the knock-on effect um, that you actually have. Uh, some people have got very strange ideas about cancer. Um, and it's a bit like you, you, when you worked in an office, you always used to joke about don't sit on that chair because you'll get pregnant because everybody that ever sat on that chair always got pregnant. The fact yeah. that they were actually in those years of their life anywhere where they'd be thinking about having a family. But there are some people that are, that are afraid that they can actually catch it that way. Um, there are some people that are afraid to talk to people when they actually lose their hair. Um, and um, it's if they have, wear a wig or they don't choose to wear a wig, they find it very challenging. Um, so some of them don't invite them back into the office. Um, there's an awful lot surrounding it, which if you have somebody that's diagnosed with cancer and you could actually bring them into meetings and those kind of things, that whatever stage they're at, it actually keeps them in the loop. Yeah. It does, which makes an, an easier return. So it's, it is, but it is very much about businesses being a bit smarter to actually think about their workforce. Um, you do health and safety. You do a health and safety stuff about whether they can actually sort of walk up the stairs properly. And this is, this is actually about them and also about their families. And it's about talking about it too, at a very early stage. So if you've had a shower this morning, God forbid that you actually have a shower and you actually find that you've got something that's not quite right. Rather than waiting and going to a doctor to actually see what it is, talk to your family, say, oh, something's a bit strange here. I'm going to go and see a doctor about it and keep them up to date from that early stage means that you're not coming back having seen an oncologist to actually say, "Badum," and drop a bomb. It's a, an easier process to actually sort of do it from early on and you all go through the process together. Yeah, That's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the subject of this podcast is about money and we recognise the fact that people don't talk about money in families, uh, but it sounds like they don't talk about health either from what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, with where we are and this time that we're recording this, we've obviously had this period of lockdown. And one of the things that I think we hear quite a lot about uh, is what you're alluding to, that there might be things beneath the surface going on in our communities, going on within society, where people think that something's not right, but are concerned about doing anything about it. Yes, there is a fear, and, and, and COVID obviously has, uh, has a huge fear connected to it. Uh, but there is also that we, um, we, we seem to have a thought process that if COVID, the hospitals are busy, so if they're busy, then you don't actually add to that busyness at all. So you actually sit back. But it, it can be very detrimental to you if you do that. But, and I understand the hospitals are busy, but they're still open for business for the other things that everybody has. Advanced cancer 
is not something that we want to be looking down the barrel of. Mm. I fear we will be because there are people that have actually not gone to a doctor when they should have gone to a doctor. And we have got people that have actually sat on it, that are sitting on it now and that haven't done anything about it. Um, so, so yes, I mean, I think that it is very much, very much about doing something about it in lockdown or not in lockdown. Yeah. But there's quite a lot of cancer patients that will actually say, what COVID has actually done is, welcome to my world. Because the world of COVID of being isolated and actually not being able to see people is very much what happens when you actually have a cancer diagnosis and you actually are going through treatment. Right. Because your immune system is compromised, then you can't go near too many people. Um, so COVID is very much about this. But also for, for um, cancer patients, when they come when we come out of COVID, it's not going to go away. Yeah. So yeah. it's it, it it is it's sort of compound. So what we need to be saying to anybody, wherever they're listening to us right now, yep. is check Always. the key parts of your body uh, and take action if something's different. Yep. Don't put it off. Take action straight away. And I have to say, we can all make excuses for why we've actually had a headache for the past three weeks and it's not going away. Oh, I'm stressed. It's it. Just go and get it checked out. Really, just simply go and get it checked out. Mm. Rather than doing another Zoom meeting, pick up the phone and phone your doctor. Yeah. It, it, it sounds very simple and it's very difficult. And I understand that people are very frightened by what the results may be, but they are much better if it's in an earlier diagnosis than it is. Yeah. So that's the, so that's um, that's one of the things that we set up. That's why I, we set up the educational program. Yeah. It was definitely to get John LeVay's message out there. It's a much stronger message now. There are not many people that do prevention work. It doesn't bring in the finance, I'm afraid. But I am passionate about that prevention work, and I think it's incredibly important. But we also do the counselling and the complementary therapy that we actually do helps people as they actually go through a cancer diagnosis. And counselling, as for some people, is a bit of a, ooh, God, I don't need to do that. Do you know, in the darkest days, it helps hugely. You have your family and your friends around you who are incredibly supportive and loving, but sometimes you need to talk to a stranger. There's going to be things that you're going to be terrified about. You're not going to want to, to frighten your family or friends, and you're not going to want to worry them. So you need another outlet an outlet now, as you're going through a cancer diagnosis, is much better than bottling it up and five years down the line, having to go back in the system through the mental health route. It's a very congested roadway, really, is that. But it's something that you can actually do now and recognise that, sadly, there is a, a need for people to be counselled. But we are there. We are there to counsel people. And, and we want to, we do it in the hospital very much so. Um, we hope to in the near future also do it in the community because I think that one of the greatest things that we can give people is choice. Um, I mean, I don't like hospitals, if I'm to be perfectly honest, and I'm no clinician, but I don't really like hospitals. And so therefore, for me, I think I would like to have a choice of actually having it done somewhere else. Some friends that I've very sadly lost that have actually had cancer always said, when I go in, I've got my blinkers on. I'm going for treatment. I'm coming out from treatment. I want to be a cancer patient when I'm in there. And as soon as I get the other side of that door, I want to be me again. Some people can't make that distinction. And I think if we, we, are, we give them the opportunity to actually do what we do within the community, 
I think that that actually will help in that process of actually getting back to being new. And where are you operating within Suffolk at the moment? So you've obviously got this this building, the premises so, of the so, Ipswich Hospital. Yeah. So Ipswich Hospital is, is primarily where we deal with um, the um, education project goes throughout Suffolk. Um, and we do a beauty workshop, which is primarily in Ipswich, but also in the community. Um, and that's for um, women. I've tried to get a barber shop for men, but they're not very forthcoming, but we'll get there. And that's very much about when people have hair loss um, and also the um, chemotherapy um, and radiotherapy. It's, it's quite cruel on the skin. So actually teach people exactly how to deal with that rather than them actually having sore skin, um, sore fingers, sore feet. The cosmetics company that we actually deal with, um, I did, I've done a year's worth of courses with them to actually learn to actually show people how to put makeup on. I won't profess to be a beautician by any means, but uh, I have some, I've added some skills anyway to the CV. <laughs> it is an honour to run those workshops. It's not just about the makeup. It's also about the, the companionship that people get. Um, we have tears, we have um, laughter. There are people that will share information with you that they haven't even shared with their family. The power of when I do funding applications um, for It's All About You, the beauty workshops, I usually put at the bottom, never underestimate the power of lipstick. We managed to raise some funds to actually have a wig provision too, because the choice was limited as to where you could actually go for wig provision. Yeah. And everything that we do, we do, and they've been driven by patients. So patients saying, well, how about this? How about that? How about the other? Yeah. So it's all about, um, it's, it's very much about listening to people. Um, and, and for me to be able to talk to people and understand where they're at and under, try and understand what it is that would actually help them. And it may only be small things, but actually small things mean a huge amount mm. in the big scheme of things. There's a lot of people that are actually going through cancer. Mm. So therefore there is a... Conveyor belt is the wrong, the wrong expression to use, but there are lots of people going through a, a process. And we are blessed in Suffolk with some absolutely brilliant clinicians. Um, but at both Ipswich and West Suffolk Hospital, we are very, very fortunate. So from that point of view, they do their job as best they can. And we have some great results that come out at the end of it. But there are bits and pieces that, that will actually help with that that actually aren't provided by the NHS. And that's where some of the charities like us come in. You obviously have an, an, an immense desire to spread the word about what you're doing and it, it comes across how much you feel about this. How did you get into it in the first place? Well, I used to be the social action producer at BBC Radio Suffolk. I worked for a national charity, the only one that was affiliated to the BBC in those days. Um, so I would go on and talk about the social things that actually happened. I've even done Malikra to be able to actually sort of build playgrounds in children in need and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I had a telephone call um, from a gentleman who I'd never spoken to in my life before who invited me out to lunch. And I'm not usually one to actually take up invitations like that. Um, <laughs> but um, and when I put the phone down, I said to somebody that was actually next to me, well, that was a funny call. And they said, well, go, just go, find out what's not to like. So I went um, and um, it was the chair of the trustees. We had a long chat. Um, about what it is I did and he said I have a charity would you like to take it on and I said well I don't know what, what have you got 
and he showed me a blank piece of paper and he said there you go and I thought I'm a glutton for punishment I don't like to turn down a challenge um, so I thought yeah yeah go on no problem at all and here we are 13 years later uh, so uh, so yes yeah, something must have gone right somewhere along the line <laughs> but we are, we, and when I say small I think perhaps I need to um, emphasize yep. how small we are so I am the uh, so I work the most hours um, and then I have a team of three wonderful people that I couldn't manage without, but they all work part-time and they're all contracted to work part-time. Um, and then I have a volunteer that's been with me very much from the, my start, um, who is always there as my backdrop. Um, my other volunteers sadly have come and been lost um, to this dreadful disease. We are small. But the advantages of being small is that we can turn on a sixpence. Mm -hmm. So if there is something that there, if there is a need for something, um, and we understand that it's definitely a cancer patient's need or um, the family's need or whatever, if we can raise the funds, we can go for it. And so we can actually do, we should be able to do new projects. For us, it's, it, it is the finance, it's the local support. And I'm going to put my hand up here. I'm not very good about shouting about who we are or what we do. I much prefer to be roll up my sleeves and get on with it. Therefore, there's lots of people that don't know who we are, although we've been around for so long. It's only people that we will have touched. Um, and we've done, we've done over 30,000 people with a one-hour prevention talk. We've done over 370-odd uh, women, um, and we have done tens of thousands of sessions of counselling. We've done a lot of work. I'm very proud of what we've done. But I'm afraid my voice stops at that point. Um, I'm not a great sort of one to actually sort of tell everybody about it and about how great and the fantastic work that we actually do. I suspect that that blank sheet of paper that you were first given probably has a list of things on it now that you want to do. Oh, gosh, yes. And how? <laughs> Is it more than one side of A4, I assume? Um, I could just tell in your voice that you're thinking of all sorts of other things you want to do. Well, what, what, what are the objectives? What are the things you'd like to do? And then we'll talk about how you get to do it. I think that clinical care is advancing and certainly cancer care is advancing at a rapid rate. But I do think that the, if, the, if the clinical care gets shorter, we're still going to have people that are living with the effects of cancer and also their family. Um, I think that the, the family bit is a, it is a bit of a gray area as to the support that actually is available for them. Um, and I, I have to say, not everybody dies of cancer. And I think that that is something that we, we all must understand because not, when I say that, lots of people say, there's the hospice. Yes, they do a fantastic job. It is very limited to what they do. It's very limited in this time frame that they actually do. They do a brilliant job, but there's lots of people that never get to the hospice. There's lots of people that won't get to the hospice for another 20 years, but they could have actually have had very invasive surgery that's made them disabled in some way, mm -hmm. but actually they've had to change their life completely. And the one thing that we have to remember is a cancer diagnosis comes out of the blue healthy people have cancer and that's the and, and it hits them like being run over by a london bus and then your life is on the on the twist so you feel a bit like a spinning top yeah. always um and it's to actually 
it's to give people somewhere that they can actually anchor themselves, if you like, find a touchstone. Um, so for me, I, for our future, I would love us to actually be in a high street, doing what we do, not as a charity shop. I'm not interested in selling clothes. I actually want to do what we do as a charity, which is not what charity shops do. I want us to do that, but I'm told I'm far too ambitious. We're too small. My trustees are saying, no, Karen, hold back, hold back, hold back. But if you say what my dream is, that's what my dream would be, to actually be able to do, to be able to have complementary therapy, to be able to have counselling, to be able to have somewhere where people can come in on the morning and do yoga. And they don't have to have a cancer diagnosis because I don't want people siloed either. I want just people, one in two of us means we're all going to be touched by this. So I want all of us to actually sort of join in. And when you have got a diagnosis, that you still feel welcome to be there. What we do in the office is whoever walks through our door, we invite to sit down and have a cup of coffee with us, or tea in my case. It is the extension of friendship. So actually be by people's side if we can help them in any way. It's about us actually being there, about people understanding that we're there. If we had somewhere on the high street, that would shout where I like to shout. I would hope that that would shout for us. Uh, then we'd also like to do things like have a choir. We'd like to be able to do um, a cooking project. We'd also like to do a painting project. We'd like to do all these things that people can actually do that will bring them back to normality or give them normality um, or give them something that's a different thing to think about. When we all retire, we all think about all the hobbies that we're going to do. This is what I'd like to give people as they're actually going through a cancer diagnosis, because some people aren't ready to go back to work. But some people also, I will warn, when they have a cancer diagnosis, the effects of their treatment does play havoc. It's a bit like women going through the menopause, um, but severer. Uh, they get forgetful. Um, some of the things, some of the skills that they actually had, they don't have anymore. So there's some retraining that actually needs to happen. I had um, a, uh, a lady who told me her story who was an accountant and she actually had um, treatment. She had quite invasive treatment and she went back to work. Perhaps she went back to work too early, but she went back to work. And for her numbers, she just became number blind. She couldn't work them out at all in any way, shape or form. So I said to her, so what did you do? Did you go to your HR department or did you speak to your boss or whatever? And she said, oh, good God, no. She said, I'd had so much time off. She said, and my colleagues had been running around and they'd all been filling in for me. She said, I felt so bad. So I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, I went off sick. Right, okay, fine, you went off sick. And then what did you do? She said, oh, then I gave him my notice. I said, right, okay, fine. But why? She said, well, I couldn't do the job anymore, could I? And I said, but you might have been able to do the job anymore. Oh, she said, oh, I couldn't go down there. She said, I felt, she said, I felt so bad. They'd been so good to me. And she said, I didn't know what to do. She said, sir, this was the easiest way to do it. And I said, okay, fine. But you, you work now, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I work in Marks and Spencer's. So from businesses, although they welcome people back, they just need to be perhaps a little aware of things that they don't tell you, of things that are going on for them that makes them feel even worse because all their colleagues have been brilliant with them they know that their company supported them all the way through but they can't quite do the job that they left 
it takes time. And for some people that fog, the chemo fog actually does, doesn't go away. So for businesses, they need to be very nurturing really um, without being patronizing because these people are just devastated by just life and what's been thrown at them. So it sounds like you have a whole list of things that you could be doing in Suffolk. So <laughs> yeah. obviously we know the big issue at the moment is we hear that charities are struggling to receive funds at the moment, that it's hard to raise new money coming in because sponsored events and activities have all been put off for the last 12 months or so. So first of all, how has that impacted you? Uh, and then secondly, let's go on to people who are listening, what can they do about these things? Because some of these things don't sound like they're just money. Some of them sound like they just need someone who can lead a particular area of interest that you're looking at. Uh, yes, um, I think that um, number one, the, the, the finances have been, uh, we, we always struggle with finances, charities always struggle with finances. Um, and you do get sick of hearing yourself say it's it's all about money. And I'm sorry to say that that is the bottom line of everything. We can't do anything without the finance. And one of the things about fi what finance gives is it gives you security. So you don't raise people's expectations and then have to drop something. You want to be a continuum. Um, so monies in, with all due respect, small amounts of money don't allow you to get your teeth into something to be able to actually fulfill what you need to fulfill and for it to build up its own momentum. And not only have we been stopped from fundraising, um, certainly out in the community like we normally would or people putting, you know, a, a pound in your collection box, but the trusts and the foundations that we would normally get monies from are very much COVID driven now. So if you're frontline um, and your foods dealing with homeless, those kind of things. There is lots of money that's actually been thrown that way. I'm not saying this is wrong. Um, it's just the knock-on effect it has on the rest of us. What we need to be ready for when all this actually opens up, because for us, it could be more people with more advanced cancers and therefore we'll need more help and for a longer period than at the moment we finance. Um, and it's for, for us to be able to do the new projects that are going to be needed because people's needs will have changed. The, um, so the, the, the uh, foundations, some of them have closed, some of them are COVID only, uh, some of them are food only, some of them are, um, and so they've actually all started to change their criteria as well. And suddenly you find that you actually, the criteria that you've fitted into, actually you don't any longer. So it's about all those kind of things. So it's not just about going out and fundraise. Um, it is all about the fundamentals as well of um, the foundations. And I'm, I'm sure if you speak to Stephen Singleton at the Suffolk Community Foundation, he'll tell you the amount of money that's available countrywide, we get a very small percentage of it here in Suffolk. And that could be things like comic relief. It can be all the big uh, children in need, all those kind of big things. There's very little money that comes back into the back into Suffolk. Mm -hmm. um, a bit of a backwater, I'm afraid, from that point of view. Mm, and that's why, you know, as we were saying at the start, there's a need really for us to recognise in Suffolk that we need to try to support other causes like yours in Suffolk. Um, because national charities have the whole country to look after, don't they? So yes. oh, why yes. should it necessarily flow back to us? But if it's given to something that's within Suffolk, mm -hmm. that's where it stays. Yes, it is. And it's also about um, a value for money. 
Um, it's about where your pound goes and how much of your pound is actually spent. And yes, we need to be paid, but I can assure you the whole of our charity, the whole of our charity run for one year is less than some of the national charities chief exec salaries if that puts it into context mm. so the the raising of money for us is got to be for events when you've only got a small group of us to put on big events becomes challenging beyond anything um because by the time you've actually paid for all the hours the 24 hours in a day that we're probably working to actually get it up and off the ground is actually sort of the money that we've raised actually becomes very little and very yeah. meaningful really but it does sound like some of the activities that you'd like to do, they're not really driven by money per se. They're, it's more that you need someone to run a group or organise an activity that, yeah. that you so, could then get behind. Yeah. So things like, um, so, so for example, if we had somebody that um, could actually help us with a choir, somebody that could actually, that's musically minded, it's to have somebody that would actually help us with that. Because... If you think about it, if we've got a choir and then a choir goes out and performs that we can charge for and get some money for, then it actually becomes a money earner in that respect. So the um, and it's about sort of um, tying up with a dietitian um, about um, sort of foods and things like that that would actually help people with um, uh, food and making food. We've had quite a few uh, partners that have, uh, want to actually do something. Partners feel very helpless in, in these circumstances, want to do something, want to put a meal on the table who have never cooked in their life, never cooked in their life. Um, and the one thing when you're poorly, and everybody I'm sure will relate to this, if you ask your partner to do something that you, it's a job you normally do, you will find that there'll be something about it that they haven't quite done that's gonna annoy you. And you actually can't move to actually change it. So it's about giving people skills to be able to actually sort of do that or help in that way or whatever. I have a friend who actually said, I used to sit there, my head used to be throbbing. And I'd say, darling, do you think you could just run the vacuum cleaner over? There were never any corners in our room, apparently. Never any corners. I could never understand it. We've got a square vacuum cleaner. She said, oh, God. And I said, and she said, you have to learn to live with it. But God, is it annoying? On the good days, the corners got vacuumed. But, so it's, it, it is, it's very much about sort of helping people and, and to have some fun with people. I mean, this is not all doer uh, by any means. So it is about sort of helping them and how we can help them. They will come to us with other things that they need um, and it's helping that need. But I would like to actually provide something for family members when I said about a touchstone, somewhere that they could go, that when it's right for them, and this is the other, when it's right for them to actually talk to somebody. Mm. Um, and not, I'm not necessarily talking about a counsellor. I'm just talking about just sitting and having a chat with somebody just to actually say, you know what, I'm really frightened and I don't quite know what to do. I've had a case study through recently of a, a, a gentleman and his son who between them they couldn't let go they couldn't let go of their mum and she she's she'd been battling she'd been battling for many 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 years and for her she was ready to give up and they couldn't accept that and they started to get angry so I mean we've counseled them as a group um as a family group but it is those kind of things that sort of build up in people and and we all have to learn as 
heartbreaking and it is heartbreaking i can tell you from personal experience mm -hmm. so just let go when the time's right people reach the end of their time and it doesn't matter what they're what they're suffering from or whether it's just old age um but we have we have to mentally ourselves just let them let go and give them your blessing um to, to let go uh, so there is the, the there's the family element that perhaps isn't as well catered for as perhaps it should be um and it's very difficult for some people to actually talk to people or know where to go to talk to people and they don't want the formality necessarily of counseling i'm not a businesswoman i would have loved to have been but that was a long time ago i'm getting a bit old in the tooth for that um but the charities have got to be run like businesses these days um and when you actually say to people about <laughs> about the funds that you've actually got and they'll say what no, no no well where's your income coming in well what's your guaranteed income do you know what we don't have one so from year to year month to month it's really is hand to mouth you know i'm cautious about how many sheets of paper i use you know the girls will tell you they don't have the most up-to-date of anything our offices in ipswich were the cheapest offices we could get we have an alfresco loo for goodness sake and it's 2021 uh so i think that we, we don't overspend uh from that point of view but it would be really nice to actually have an indoor loo yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to us that would be luxury <laughs> which is sounds silly in these days but so i think that the value of local people's money knowing that we help local people is invaluable absolutely invaluable for companies to actually get together and do fundraising stuff for us would, is magic when they do it, absolutely magic. We'd also like people to sort of stay with us in some respects, to actually see how, and see and help us progress. If you are a small charity, and there are some big chunks of money available, because you only have a small amount of money, you can't go for the big amounts of money, so you can never make yourself bigger, because they feel that you don't have the infrastructure, so therefore you won't be able to manage it. There's no sort of bridge, really, of how to actually get how to get there. What's referred to in the business world as you're an awkward size in the sense <laughs> that you can't ever. But I just feel whatever size a business is, is always awkward size. But anyway, it's a particular dilemmas that you have. Karen, we're just sort of coming to an end of our time, really. Um, but it sounds like the work you do is just phenomenal. And it's it sounds just so personal and so. Yeah unique and tailored around the needs of Suffolk. And that's the thing that absolutely fascinates me about what you do. And to do it effectively on a shoestring is absolutely incredible. Um, so it sounds like we're asking people, check themselves about yeah. their own personal situation, take action if there's something that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, but it also sounds that if people have abilities and skills that they would be willing to give to you, um, you're open to suggestion oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but of course financially too if anyone's happy to support you uh, you've got a big fundraising um, drive this year I understand so if anyone's willing to get behind that and give you some support you'd be only too pleased to to hear from them as well yes definitely I mean we have a fundraiser that starts on today the 12th of February and it is it'll be an investment if you're the lucky person that actually wins we need everybody's support, everybody's support to actually throw it worldwide to, through social media so we can actually raise as much money as possible. We have been given an absolute diamond 
We've been very fortunate, but we have been given a diamond and we need to actually make sure that the money stays in Suffolk, comes to Suffolk, but I'm quite happy to go worldwide to get it. <laughs> um, Karen, how can anyone get in touch with you if they want to find out more about the work you do? If they want to get in touch with us, um, if they do it through email, is probably the best at the moment. If you actually do it to my personal email, then I can direct it wherever it needs to go. And I'm quite simply Karen at cancercampaigninsuffolk.co.uk. Well, well, it's been absolutely amazing to hear about this incredible work that you do throughout the county. And I know that you feel as though you're only scratching the surface, but I think for the individuals that you touch and the difference that you make to their lives, however big or small you are, that's irrelevant. The difference you make is phenomenal. So, Karen, thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing so much about what you've been doing and what you hope to do. And we hope that all the resources come to you so that you can make it bigger and better and, more importantly, make a difference to more lives. Exactly. I've got my fingers crossed. I hope you have. So thank you for listening to the Suffolk Money Podcast. This is our very first episode, so please ensure that you subscribe to ensure that all future episodes will be made available to you as soon as possible. We'd also really value your feedback, so please do uh, that within the podcast service that you follow. As well as that, it would be great if you could also follow us on Facebook and just look for Suffolk Money. We're really interested in stories that we can follow within the county. So if there's further information about a wonderful business that you know about or a great form of community support that's on offer in your area, or if you've got some really good money-saving tips, then we're always interested in finding out more. So until next time, we will see you soon.